Uh, turn your Bibles to Matthew 24. <clears throat> title to this particular chapter, what's going on in this chapter in the synoptic gospels that deal with it as well. Who knows what that title is? The destruction of the temple. Into the age? It has to do with where Jesus is is and from Mount of Olives. It's called the Olivet Discourse. Just so you know. Oh yes, that Oh, yes, that. That's it. <laughs> All right. I knew that. Okay. <clears throat> so, um, the story is also told in uh, Mark 13 and in Luke 21, uh, we're going we're gonna to stay mostly in Matthew. Uh, you'll see tonight we are going to look at the other uh, Gospels talking about it a little bit as well. Um, so, I would ask uh, someone with a good, strong voice uh, who's willing to read for us a ways, uh, read the... Uh, would read the first 35 verses. Who's, who's a volunteer that can read? Okay, James. <clears throat> Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming, and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for the women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight be not, may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. 
And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. <clears throat> Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. I'm going to go on. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Uh, two men will be in the field. One will be, uh, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding uh, with a hand uh, mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would, have, would not have let his house be broken into. <clears throat> so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. <clears throat> Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge over the servants of his household to give them uh, their food at, uh, at the proper time? It will be good for the servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth. He will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying a long time. And he begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with drunk, drunkards. The master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him or an hour when he is not aware. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites uh, where there will be we uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, uh, here on the Olivet Discourse. It's called the Olivet Discourse because Jesus is giving this discourse on the Mount of Olives, of course. Um, I want you to understand the context here. Jesus is in Jerusalem. It's at the time of Passover. Um, he, uh, a few days earlier, has come into Jerusalem riding on the uh, colt of a donkey in fulfillment of prophecy 
from Zechariah saying he'll come on a donkey's colt. And so Jesus comes in and the people are, you know, real excited about him coming in and shouting out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and, and so on. Uh, and as he, he goes through, he does some teaching, he gives some parables. Uh, there seems to be quite a bit of uh, confrontation between him and the uh, religious leaders at that time, especially we see it in uh, chapter 23. You look back there, this is where we have these seven woes. And you see where the woes are, are coming. Right off the, the bat, uh, Jesus said to the crowds, uh, and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything that they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. And he goes on to begin to pronounce these woes on them. Verse 13, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Verse 15, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Um, verse 16, Woe to you, blind guides. Uh, woe to you, verse 23, Woe to you, you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. 25, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. 27, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Verse 29, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Verse 33, you snakes, you brood of vipers. You, you, you get the uh, impression there's a little, there could be a little bit of tension going on here between Jesus and these uh, religious leaders and so on. Um, down to verse 37, uh, where he says, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, uh, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is context, uh, bringing us into chapter 24. This has just, just happened here. And um, when in verse 38 here of chapter 23, 23, 38, look, your house is left to you desolate. What, what is the house he's talking about? Temple. temple. And he's talking about the temple. Your house is left to you desolate. And then an amazing thing. What does he do after he says, uh, what does he do immediately upon that? Saying your house is left to you desolate. And he says, of course, you will not see me again. Um, it, we pick it up in verse 21. What does Jesus do? He leaves the temple. He leaves the temple with his disciples. And it's quite symbolic. Your house is left to you desolate. And he walks out with his disciples left desolate and so um, <clears throat> Jesus and his disciples walk away and then they go to the Mount of Olives and as they get to the Mount of Olives I've not been there myself but I hear it's kind of a, a, a mount just kind of like on the other side and when you're on the Mount of Olives you can look and you can see the whole temple structure and it was a magnificent thing this temple uh, Herod's temple that he had built um, and uh, it was supposedly even more magnificent than the temple that Solomon had built. It was, it was supposedly wonderful. And they're pointing out to Jesus how wonderful it is and how magnificent it is. Uh, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came upon him and called his attention to the buildings. And um, 
then you see what Jesus says. Uh, I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Well, that's quite concerning to his disciples, right? right discerning, uh, concerning to his disciples. Say, say what? You know, the, 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 if the temple is there, uh, that means God's presence is there. You remember when uh, um, Babylon came and put uh, Jerusalem under siege and they thought, no way they can, no way they can uh, take us. The temple's here. The temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord, right? And so they're saying, temple of the Lord's here. God's presence here. They can't defeat us. God is here. Well, God has left the temple at that point, right? And when Jesus here leaves the temple, he says it's, it's left desolate. And so they're looking at the magnificent uh, structure, this physical beauty. And Jesus says, you know what? Not, not one stone's going to be left on another. So that's, that's kind of where we are to begin this whole uh, instruction that we get uh, on the Olivet Discourse. Um, so I, I want us to con uh, compare and contrast what we see here um, in the first three verses. We're just going to look at the first three verses tonight. And this, is just, this will just be kind of in way of introduction, setting up Jesus' response to the disciples. But... Um, I want us to, to look at the other, the Synoptic Gospels account of this as well. Somebody get uh, Mark 13. Um, and I believe it's the first. Uh, first three verses of, uh, first four verses of Mark 13. First four, what did I say? Okay, yes, it is first four. That's what I meant, I was thinking four. And the other one is in Luke uh, 21, beginning in verse 5, and um, through, to verse, through to verse 7, so it's 5 through 7. I'll, I'll read that one if we get somebody to, to read the uh, Mark account there in those first four verses. I will. Okay. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Okay. What, uh, <clears throat> how does that compare? How does it contrast? Are there any differences in Mark's account to Matthew's account? Not, not much. There's a lot of similarities. What are some of the similarities? He's leaving the temple. He's leaving the temple. It's the same, yeah. Um, they're, they're admiring the temple. Right? And Jesus telling them, um, you know, specifically, not one stone will be uh, left on another um, until every one of them is thrown down. And it seems like their question is, is worded a little bit differently in Mark. Is it not? Their questions to Jesus. What do they say? How's their question to Jesus different in Mark? Or is it? Isn't that already been fulfilled of this prophecy? Um, a large part of it, yeah. And that's, that's what we're going to get to. That's what we're going to see. Um, as We'll see that the next time we get together. But uh, specifically, 
in Mark 13. There are, and the reason we're doing this is there are there are those who would say that every bit of this, chapter 23, was fulfilled back in 70 A.D. There are those who will look at this and say, no, every bit of it's still future. And there are those who would say, well, it's a mixture. Uh, happened in 70 A.D. and still to come. And so we're, we're going to see, uh, hopefully, uh, where we fall out, where you fall out in that. Because I know where I fall out. Anyway, um, the question... In Matthew, they talk about, they ask, when is uh, the sign of your coming? <clears throat> and Mark, they don't specify that. Okay. <clears throat> Instead, in Mark, what do they say? Um, uh, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Okay. <coughs> so, Mark, it's a little different in Luke's gospel. Uh, some of his disciples were remarking about the temple, how adorned with beautiful stones and with uh, gifts dedicated to God, but Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they ask, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? Hmm. So we see a lot of the same things. Jesus is saying not one stone. They're, they're looking at the temple and remarking how wonderful it is. And Jesus said, uh, there's going to be a time when not one stone is left on another. And so they ask. And the two questions, when will these, uh, when will these things happen and what, uh, and what will be the sign that they're about to take place, right? So they want to know uh, not only uh, when, but, uh, you know, how can we see it's coming? It's about to be here, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, we actually have some, some, different, some different questions in, in uh, Matthew's Gospel. Uh, tell us when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age. Okay. Now, from looking at these three in the different way they ask the questions, what are some things that um, what are some things that they seem to be supposing? Uh, they're lumping some some things together. They have what you would call presuppositions about how things are going to look in the future. They have already made up in their minds some ideas of what it's going to look like. And we can kind of gather it from looking at the different ways that they ask the questions. What are, what are some of their presuppositions here? They think it's all going to happen at the same time. They think it's all going to happen at the same time. So they think that the destruction of the temple and the uh, coming uh, of the Lord is going to happen at the same time, and also, what about that same time, especially as we look in Matthew? That that's going to be the end of the time. That will be the end of the age. End of the age. Yes, let's make sure we get that correct, too, because the end, the end of the age. And so they, they are asking two questions, but they really are kind of thinking these two questions are just go right together. Right? When Jesus answers their two questions, I, th I think we're going to see that he shows you, you've got this idea that it's all going to happen at the same time, but it's not. Okay? And so when, when uh, we get back next time, we'll begin seeing that. Uh, we'll see him answering uh, the first question. 
and uh, we'll see details about how it worked out in his answer to the first question uh, next time we get together. <coughs> um, but um, and then and then the the we'll get together in three Sundays, and uh, we're going to see his answer to their last question. And uh, so anyway. Um, what, what do you think is meant by the, uh, the disciples asking Jesus uh, about um, the sign of his coming? I don't know if that's the best way to ask that question or not. They, they think this, that his coming is uh, the end of the age and that there will be a sign to help us to, to know what that will be. Now, there are different understandings about what they meant by the end of the age. And so I'm going to read to you a little bit here about this interpretation of the, of the, of the uh, term. <clears throat> because um, there are some different ideas about that. <clears throat> it says, uh, from their question, it appears that the disciples believe that the destruction of the temple and Christ's uh, second coming were to occur simultaneously. They believed the temple was, a per, was as permanent as the world itself. Uh, only the end of the latter, therefore, only the end of the world, therefore, could bring about the end of the former, the end of the temple. And Jesus says, no, there are two event, the, the two events are not simultaneous. The temple will fall in the lifetime of this generation, but then... Uh, but there will then follow a lengthy delay uh, before the uh, second coming of Christ. Some interpreters contend that uh, the, uh, the three questions asked in verse 3 have a single focus. So there are three questions. Uh, when will this happen? What will the sign be uh, of your coming at the end of the age? Where's the third question? I don't remember. Anyway. Um, they believe the temple was permanent. Uh, see, the, the two events were simultaneous. The temple will fall in the lifetime of this generation. Okay, I've read that. Some interpreters contend that the three questions asked in verse 3 have a single focus. The disciples were asking about the time Jesus would come in judgment to destroy the temple and bring in the Jewish age to an end. So... Certainly, some of them think about the end of the age. It's the end of this uh, Jewish age uh, for them. These interpreters, among whom uh, N.T. Wright is the most articulate, point out that within the mainline Jewish writings of this period, covering a wide range of styles, genres, political persuasions, and theological perspectives, there is virtually no evidence the Jews were expecting the end of the space-time universe. Um, what then did they believe was going to happen? They believed that the present world order, what was the present world order for them? Rome. Rome. Rome's in charge. Rome's a, yeah. So they believed that the present world order would come to an end. The world order in which pagans held power and the Jews, the covenant people of the creator God, did not. So that's, that's the current world's uh, order that they were in and they thought, well, this will come to an end. And the Jewish people and God will be back in charge. Uh, we go on. Then the, uh, the disciples then were looking for the fulfillment of Israel's hopes and for a story told so often in Israel's scriptures to reach its appointed climax. And the uh, close 
uh, and the close of the age for which they longed was not the end of space-time order, but the end of the present evil age and the introduction of the still very much this worldly age to come. In other words, the end of Israel's period of mourning and exile and the beginning of her freedom and vindication. Mark 24.3, therefore, is most naturally read in the first century Jewish context, not as a question about what scholars have come to call in technical language the parousia, um, but as a question about Jesus' coming or arrival in the sense of his actual enthronement as king. Consequent upon the uh, dethronement of the present powers that were occupying the holy city. The question, seen from in, within the story of the disciples, have in their mind, must be read to mean when will you come in your kingdom? When will the evil age, symbolized by the present Jerusalem reign, uh, regime, excuse me, be over? So they're asking him, when are you going to be king? When are you going to come set up the the throne. When's all this going to happen? We know the destruction of the temple and you'll be the king and, and, and uh, uh, the Romans will be tossed out and all stuff of new, new world order. Uh, the covenant people and God himself will be uh, ruling uh, once again. Um, and so the disciples seem to be, as, as they think about this, this term, uh, the end of the age, um, Seem to be thinking that. Seem to be thinking that this is about um, the end of the uh, age of the rule of the pagans. And we're, we're looking forward. Um, we've already seen in uh, one of the synoptics, I don't remember which one, uh, just, uh, just a little bit before that, a few paragraphs before it gets to this uh, discussion here, uh, the disciples, two of his disciples come and ask him to sit on his right and his left when he gets into his kingdom. They think it's pretty imminent. He's coming, and this is gonna it's gonna happen. We're, you're gonna set up your kingdom. It's gonna be great. The uh, pagans will be uh, booted out of here, and all these uh, things. Uh, Jesus is gonna tell them something a little bit different uh, about uh, the end of the age, something that they weren't quite ready for, and uh, so we will we will see that uh, in the weeks to come. And I think Ron was probably thinking about as we read on this, we read the whole chapter saying this generation will not pass away until all these things have come to pass, right? And uh, we're, we're going to see, uh, I think, um, how different people would interpret that. But I, I think the only way is legitimate to, to interpret it. We'll look at that too. So anyway, this is a passage that many look to, and rightfully so, uh, about the, uh, the second coming. And so uh, next time when we get together, we're going to look at uh, verses 4 on through verse, uh, what James read, 4 through 35, I think. Uh -huh. <clears throat> and um, I think that passage deals with answering one of the questions, particularly... And then verse 36, it seems to me Jesus jumps into answering a second question as well. And they, they didn't realize that, that their questions were going to be separated by such time which Jesus seems to clearly uh, be answering for them. And so that's just a kind of a precursor to next time and putting it in context and uh, getting us ready for the study of the... Uh, Olivet Discourse and Jesus' teaching 
on the end times. By the way, uh, R.C. Sproul wrote a book. Uh, Bill's talking about listening to is is uh, he's got uh, audio on it. It's a whole series. How many lessons? Twelve. Twelve lessons in the series entitled the uh, the uh, end times according to Jesus, or the last days according to Jesus, something like that. And he gets it from uh, doing uh, quite. A, bit of extensive uh, research on this one chapter. So it could take us a long time, but we're doing it in three weeks. Okay. So <laughs> we're combining it. Um, since we've got just a few more minutes, uh, I'll tell you where we're going from there. <clears throat> um, I think we'll go from, uh, from here to, um, and I'm, I may change my mind, but we're, we're going we're gonna to look at uh, Revelation chapter 20. Very important in our understanding of the end times. And we're going to look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 5. Um, We'll look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15 as well. And uh, so I think those would be the major passages in Scripture which uh, deal with uh, uh, the end times. Uh, Certainly there are some others that touch on it, but those would be the main passages. So we'll have looked at Daniel 9. Uh, Matthew 24, Revelation 20, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, and, uh, and 1 Corinthians 15. So just so you know, we're going to have five of uh, the major passages regarding the end times. And, and it might sound like a train whistle when you come to I don't know. Yeah. Be ready to go. All right, let me pray for us. 